Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm the Spiritual Engagement Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University, and my guest this week is David Drury. David's a regular here on the show. He is a uh, writer and a consultant and pastor and a whole bunch of other amazing things. Just uh, check him out on Amazon if you want to find the books that he puts out, as well as take a look at his uh, Substack, his David Drury Substack. You'll find it uh, quite easily if you search around with his name and Substack. And uh, I was glad to have him on the show again this week to talk about a passage from James, continuing our series in James. We're looking at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show and receive some additional content, Simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Dave. So we're looking at uh, James chapter three verses, I think one through 12. Is that what I told you? One through 12? Yes. Does that I match your expectation? I got it here. Yep. Awesome. You'd be willing to read the text and I'll say a prayer after that? Yeah, for sure. Go for it. So, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up or bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Well, that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we pause now to bless your name with our tongues, and we pray that our tongues would not then be turned to cursing, 
that uh, these tongues of ours that uh, both Dave and I are called to use in our uh, work as teachers and preachers and consulting and leading, we do a lot of work with our tongues. And this very podcast is two people talking. It's tongue work. (laughs) So uh, we take the risk now to ask that despite all the great dangers that the tongue poses, uh, that you would make use of our tongues now to glorify you and to perceive and hand on the word of God as it is coming to us through this text today. So we dare to ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what stands out to you in this text? I'm sure there's lots, but where do you want to start? Oh man, there's just, uh, this is so much. I mean, it's full of so many metaphors. I mean, it's, it's the, the metaphor king, uh, yeah. verse, like I, I didn't count them all up, but just the different examples that are given that, that are just over and over again. And then, I mean, and, and the nice thing is it's, it's, you know, James sticks with one subject here. He, it's because he's talking about being a teacher, but it's really about the tongue and, mm. um, and just controlling that. And so th- th- that certainly jumps out to me. It jumps out to me that a lot of people say this when they come to like, let's say the church using television or the internet, the whole idea of a double-edged kind of mentality. And there's definitely that here. There's positive metaphors and negative metaphors. So there's the bridle or the bit in its mouth, the rudder in the ship. Those are positive metaphors. But then there's the negative one of fire. There's the sense of it being a corrupting or even poison that's talked about. Then there's the idea of kind of taming that it's almost like an animal nature compared to all these different, you know, animals that you can tame, but you can't tame the tongue. Then there's blessing and cursing. And then finally kind of pure water and and bitter water. And it's just metaphor after metaphor after metaphor. (laughs) Anybody that's mixed metaphors, which I'm prone to do from time to time when I'm, you know, up a Creek without a ladder. I think that that this (laughs) is sort of James like, or up a tree without a paddle. Uh, so there's, this is a bit of a, a lot of mixing of metaphors, but in a way that makes it more rich. Yeah. I kind of, I struggle and maybe it's because I'm, uh, too much of an abstract thinker, but I've always struggled more with, there's, there's a number of passages, especially there's two main ones in chapter one and three on the use of the tongue, and then another brief one in chapter four with regard to boasting that links up to this. And I struggle with them because the other two are a little clearer. It's 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 the piling on of metaphors that I think for a lot of readers, including my wife, who just absolutely loves all these images, I get lost because I'm like, well, wait, 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 what's the point again? Like I'm like, <laughs> and I I think it is a single point, and I have been struck this time reading through. That he doesn't come back to it, but has that opening line because the rest are all just kind of wisdom teaching, like just describing the realities, right? But the the only sort of like direct instruction that I could see, and I I could be missing one, the rest is kind of a mixing of praising and blaming. 
But that opening line, not many of you should become teachers, which is very interesting, especially because, I mean, he's a teacher. So, <laughs> but he, he doesn't come back to that. And it seems no. like a general talk about the tongue. But I wonder if even the metaphors have more clarity. And you tell me this is a sort of hypothesis that, that the mixing of the metaphors becomes a slightly clearer when we think of them applied specifically to the use of tongue in instructing others, right. you know, where both the power of the tongue and the danger of the tongue is kind of amplified in that context. Cause he might not just be talking about just like, you know, conversation and what kind of talker you are, you know, although I, I think it also applies to that by analogy, but I don't know. Does that, does that ring a bell with you or am I kind of putting too much weight on that first verse as the kind of main idea Oh, it's huge weight. I completely think you're right. And it's the way all of it should be interpreted as opposed to, you know, in some sense, this is a, you could parallel this to Titus and Timothy, the other sections that talk about leaders in the church. Ironically, people like to use those passages uh, mm. to talk about qualifications for leadership. And then they don't use this. And I just uh. wonder if... It's because so many of us don't have tamed tongues, but we are the husband of one wife. And so men who like to jibber jabber man, mansplain their way through Titus and Timothy and <laughs> want to go to James three. So uh, because this is a lot, wow. convict, it should be convicting. And, and James knows that it judges us strictly uh, in his words, which is, I think I don't have you, you have, you might have the original in front of you, but just kind of take a look. seems like all of the literal translations call it strict judgment. And then even the dynamic one I was using even says it the same way, you know, there's, it's a sense in which all eyes are on you as a teacher, not, it's not talking about leadership. It's talking about teaching. I think you're right. And all the rest of it. And of course he lands it in verse 12 with three metaphors in a row in one verse and then just doesn't go back, you know, and, and I say all this again, in order to reinforce my original point in verse one, which is be careful about teaching because it, you're going to be judged strictly and your tongue, you know, in verse two is, is hard to manage. Yeah. And I mean, of course, then he goes in to talk about different kinds of wisdom, which would also be related to, cause those would be one of the qualifications right. to be a teacher be to have wisdom. And he identifies different kinds of wisdom. We'll get into that next week with Aaron Perry on the show. But but it seems to me the connection is very clear because then all the way into four, he talks about conflicts and envy and desire for power over other people. So it could be that this sort of like, there could be things going on in the churches that he's hearing rumors of or getting letters about as he writes this letter where he's identifying people kind of pursuing to be teachers and causing contention as they're sort of competing with each other. Maybe, I don't know. I don't want to read too much in. Maybe I'm kind of reading mm. the Corinthian mm. experience into the situation that James is speaking to. Although James has to speak more generically, he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes of Israel dispersed, right? right? So this is much more of a circular letter. So that's why it speaks in more generic wisdom terms. Not that there aren't specific issues that are being asked about, right. but he, he's not answering like a specific set of questions but it's slightly more broad, which might be part of the appeal of the book of James or why it convicts so easily. Cause I can't be like, well, those Corinthians had this problem. So Paul told them that and how we apply to that to our lives is a little different. Right. Whereas here I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, he's just talking about human beings and the way we use our tongue. And there's no way to, for me to get out from under it. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. And another thing that pops out is the bridling kind of component, the horse metaphor. So strong and used really twice, I think, at least the mm. literal ones talk about, you know, a lot of them say like the NIV, I think, and the NLT, which I read earlier, the hold in check, but it's really a bridle with a hold in check with a bridle is, is I think the, and then it's of course repeated with the idea of a bit in its mouth, which is, I think this, I don't know if it's the same kind of same word exactly, but the same con same metaphor, even if a different word. I don't know. Enough yeah. So where's that verse, verse two, it's in many ways we stumble all of us. If anyone in what he says does not stumble, that one is a perfect man able to. So there's the positive bridle indeed all the body. Yeah. So that's, that's the verb form of bridle. Right. Uh, Kalanag, and, then in verse three. and then three, if now of horses bits into the mouths, we put, to obey them us for them to obey us even more all the body of them we turn around and this one's very convenient of course that's one where the metaphor pushes into the literal space because of the language of tongue you know we put it into the mouth that's right. why that one's that uh, one's i think a little more powerful than even the rudder one in a way the rudder the rudder matches because of the notion of how something small affects the whole body which then the fire one is the third one. And that, that keeps running with that theme. It's this one right. small member of the body. And yet when that goes wrong, everything goes wrong. And also vice versa, get your tongue in right. check. You're pretty much going to get everything else in check. I don't know if I believe that <laughs> I should say, I don't believe the Bible, but I'm like, is that right? Like, um, but then there's a part of me that's like, well, maybe I don't believe it because I just don't have my tongue in check yet. And so I'm like, that's, that's, that's the last straw. If I could get the as, tongue in check, maybe everything else just kicks in on your podcast at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I just think it's fun that it uses that same word or a derivative of the word of bridling yep. in Kalanus. both ways. And most, and most people might miss that if they're using the NIV or even like I was using a dynamic one. So that's a, a helpful thought, you know, the, the sense of kind of, you know, bridling in like a horse. And of course, you know, we don't, like you said, it's right there in the mouth. And I think this is relatable unless you're mute. I think everyone struggles with even, even an introverted person or a person that's not real expressive, not real vocal. Sometimes, in fact, the people that are like that, they have a great fear of what they might say wrong, even if they're not as expressive or verbal. It's okay. It does hang over everybody's, I think. And all I know for me, I have from time to time, those moments where I recall a conversation where I said something that I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And I sort of have that, <clears throat> you know, kind of gnashing of teeth uh, moment uh, where I wish I could go back and not say what I said. And so, I, and I don't know if it's just my perception of James based on this book and other passages, but James does feel like his personality is such I read this passage as not a self-confession. I wonder if he is more controlled than Yeah, I mean, he's so leaders. tight. Yeah. I mean, compared compared to his uh commonly contrasted figure of Paul. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, uh those of us The short book Paul, and covers a lot of territory. Yeah, more you Pauline know. in our giftedness and verbosity. Uh yeah. it does read a little like are you talking about me and uh you know, I wonder how Paul read it and what he thought. And I think he certainly would agree with it. And, and they go, and of course, sure. agree, and be like, 
wow, you're using more metaphors than me. Even you're, you're a stud James. Yeah. And of course, Paul's a little bit more like a dude. I want to like camp on a metaphor for a whole chapter and like develop it. Right. Yeah, right. Whereas James just throws it and runs and then throws another, throws another, throws another, you know, like, that's true. Yeah. and it's two very different styles. Yeah. And what's interesting is for me as a talkative person, a loquacious person, excess speech. This book always made me feel so guilty, especially chapter three growing up. I'm so insecure about being too talkative. And it wasn't till pretty recently, actually, that I realized that when he says bridle the tongue, he's not, he never makes an explicit reference to quantity, that there's lots of ways that the tongue can be misused. Actually, the the examples he gives are about boasting and about uh, cursing. So, I mean, it does apply to me. I'm not trying to get myself off the hook, but I was thinking about you because you tend to struggle maybe slightly less with the amount question, but perhaps at least in the past, in the past, fully sanctified now, but the past with the, the, the harsh use of the tongue, right? To use the tongue to just cut somebody down, right? So you're, uh, so you're using the, uh, the excellent technique of bringing up the sin of someone in the past. Yes, of course. Right, it's more right, right. easy for the person to confess them. Yeah, but, right, but, but right, me, right. I'm still a sinner in the present as one who just talks too much, as has been yeah. evident no, I, in this episode. I, I completely agree. I, and I mean, in my story, just so the listeners know, they don't know my whole story. Like you, they might know more of your story, but I really would just cut people down when I was younger. I mean, I still have a temptation to do it and do it every once in a while. And when I'm just with my family is when I slip back into it my <laughs> with my kids. And so they would know that um, I still every once in a while go there. And, and But as a kid and I had a, I had a teacher in the fifth grade walk to my house back before we all had cell phones and stuff. And he sat on my front lawn and he just said, Hey, I've noticed that you, you know, you, a lot of times you'll say things that really cut other people down and really insult them or make them feel little. And I just want you to know, I'm noticing that. Is there, is that what you want to do? And I felt really bad and it was, but it was a positive confrontation that made me want to change. And so he and I had like a little deal that he would encourage me in that. And then I put a little sticker on my desk that kind of reminded me to not do that, though I don't think I ever 100% overcame that. It was a turning point for me, I think. Uh, What it was was a milestone to go back to when I felt like I was doing it again. So much so now, it's a nice inversion of things. I've had this a lot in the last few months, John. I've been with people that just so liberally talk about someone that's not there, other leaders and pastors and writers or whatever, my peers, and they'll just rip them to shreds when they're not present. And it really bothers me now. And I praise the Lord. I think I've been cured of that temptation. A lot of people that are leaders of influence that are the ones that make lists of who should be in the room are perhaps the people that do that the most because Mm. they have to make judgments of who should be in the room which I've had the privilege of doing a lot for the last decade or so. But then you got to tame that tongue. You, you don't need to share those judgments. You can keep right. it yourself. You can right. just say, I would yeah. rather have, you know, Lisa, you know, than Ruth. And you don't have to say two bad paragraphs about Ruth. Because Ruth sucks, right? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, just, right, right. Yeah, I, I would advance Lisa. Or, or at times I've even, even in a nominating type situation, sort of reserve the white to just say, no, you know, Rick shouldn't be in the room or, you know, Jill shouldn't be in the room and not even say why. And just be like, if I don't have the credibility to say that, 
then that's about me, not about me yeah. to articulate how bad they are. I can articulate how bad anybody is. And so that's a, that's something that I'm glad and sort of feel freed from that because it's, it's, it makes meetings icky when the whole yeah. meeting is just about how bad certain people are. No, I think, I think, and this is this taming of the tongue thing is one of these things that just gets harder as you get older and as you have more authority and influence, this is why it opens, right? Not, sh- not many of you should be teachers, right? Cause like, mm-hmm. this is not a, a, a young person's sin or temptation, right? This is, this is one that actually gets, can actually get more challenging. And so it's yeah. worth getting started as soon as and possible. The, the more influence you have, the more damage that is done. Bingo. Uh, it's sort of the, all those metaphors, like the small rudder and the small bit. Rudder, um, bridle, little fire, little, little fire, little spark. Yeah. So it's, it's because you are running a big ship. Uh, you are a big horse. You are a big forest. And because of that, with your influence, I, I remember that I had a youth pastor that said one little thing. He probably never thought twice about it, but man, it just kind of crushed me when he said it. And then I had another basketball coach that said something at church. We went to the same church. And he said something at church around all of my buddies about me that just made me feel like two inches tall. And the fact that literally, I don't know how long is that? You're talking 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I could tell you, I could describe exactly what was happening, what I was wearing, where I was standing in both of those instances. Yeah. Um, you know, you have influence. It's part of why I don't want to be a youth pastor and never did just because I knew that in particular teenagers receive this stuff so heavy uh, and it starts yeah. kind of a forest fire for their ego and all that. But yes, I confess, I do think that there is a uh, a real problem with taming the tongue in its quantity, not just its quality. Yeah. Or reverse quantity and quality. Yeah. No, I I'm appreciate sorry. you yeah, saying it. Around. No, that's all right. Quality. I could, I could have tamed my tongue there and not corrected you. Everyone would have known what you meant. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean the quant and I, I didn't want to get myself off the hook with the quantity thing. Of course. I mean, basically I talk for a living, so I, I know what it's, it's really hard. And this but just, and it was just, you know, there's the end it's the produ- producing fruit. You know what? That's the, the question. Is right. it helping people or not? Right. That's the big question. And I always want to be open to knowing that. And it was just helpful for me. I was thinking about that when I was driving to my office earlier today and thinking about talking with you today and thinking, wow, you know, this has been an important text for both of us, but we have related. I mean, I'm sure listeners are like, you. we just seem so nearly identical to them, but I can see in us very different temptations of how we use the tongue for evil, you know, and it's a big shout out to James and it's the, the clarity and the sort of wisdom style and the use mm-hmm. of metaphors that basically, in a way, by not being more specific, by just saying tame the tongue. Well, what does that mean? How do you get there? Well, exactly. Get started. Get working at it. Figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's something like a bridle in the mouth of a horse. Well, how does that work? Well, you, you yeah. just practice and you find out, right? Because everyone and, – and that's just two examples, uh, the certain kinds of sort of hurtful words, mine with just, just sheer excess um, – the examples he gives, boasting, uh, the, 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 the question of cursing, like, you know, but so many other possibilities, so many other ways that the tongue does damage, but also can do great things, you know? So, well, that's great. Let's take a quick break after giving a nice shout out to James uh, and come back and explore some sermon starters. 
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with David Drury, and we're looking at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Uh, let's explore some sermon starters. Uh, what, what direction would we want to go with this? It's already so sermonic and it's, you know, metaphors. And uh, how would you go about developing a sermon or a teaching, depending on the context, with a text like this, David? I mean, it's such a small thing, uh, pun intended, um, here. It's just a small idea of the, of our words having such impact. So I think you could go a thousand different directions with it. So though it, though it's 12 verses here and what we're examining now, which is what most people would likely constrict a message to, um, this section, uh, there's really only one main idea. So the benefit here, it's not like a Pauline passage, which would often have like, you know, 45 ideas in 12 verses, there is one main idea. So I think you just start with that and then think, okay, how can you do it? I, I definitely think that the whole small influencing the large could be packaged if somebody's looking for a way to tie it back to Christ, um, packaged with all of the metaphors Jesus used uh, that were positive about small, the salt and light and the mustard seed, the yeast uh, influencing all of the dough. Uh, these are the, Jesus used all these kind of small metaphors, a small thing influencing the large. That might be yeah. fun. I don't feel that, like I just preached a message. One of the feedback points I got was that like I, I hadn't emphasized Jesus in it. Well, I was preaching out of Nehemiah and there really wasn't a place to land very easily to like say, okay, now turn to Matthew 28. And so that was one of the points. And, and I, I mean, as I reflected on it, I'm like, okay, how could I have done that? Hmm. Uh, and so sometimes it's helpful to be able to do that. Although I don't have the conviction that that's how you have to preach every single that You have to do that. No, that, that it's sort of the shibboleth, uh, mention of the gospels at some point, but I think it's kind of fun since it is a metaphor, all these small influence, the large metaphors. There's could, clear parallels and James is emerging so out of the same totally. kind of Palestinian Jewish yes. wisdom tradition. There's even a couple parallels. I mean, I don't know if he does freshwater, but he certainly talks about fig trees and he talks about cursing, cursing your brother in Matthew four. So that there's a number of sort of some direct parallels that make it not totally irrelevant. And especially the last little bit in 11 and 12, judging a tree by its fruit, you know, back from Matthew seven, basically it's a bunch of sermon on the Mount connections. Now that, now that I rattled them off, I kind of realized they're most of them, uh, I don't think that's where the the yeast and the the small impacting the large. Those are the parables of the kingdom, which would be Matthew three, uh, Matthew thirteen, paralleled with Mark four. So that's good. I, I, that's actually a clever move there, Dave. Is to kind of look not for the parallel isn't just other metaphors that have the same image, but sort of whereas there's a there's a conceptual or a logical parallel, right? Small right. impacting the large which is definitely recurring here, which again, links back to that teachers. It's a tricky one. Cause of course, if you are a teacher, you know, this, this applies to you most of all as a teacher to teach on. And it can be tricky to say, to warn other people about if you're a teacher, you'll be held to a higher standard. Yeah, that, that can yeah. be a subtle, like I'm doing this lovely favor for you to not, you know, to bear this authority so that you don't have right. to 
sometimes that can come off the wrong way. I'm not, I'm not imputing right. that to James at all, but yeah, but I, I would yeah. want to be careful about that when we're preaching. Yeah, and, and as, as though you're implying, you know, because I do not stumble in word, I'm the perfect man. Like, in <laughs> like, and that's the, you know, in the literal. Yeah. I think that that's true. I actually think that you should always try to, when giving illustrations, be self-deprecating rather than self-aggrandizing. Yeah, uh, which so many of us preachers miss that, uh, and in our first ten minutes, puff ourselves up and demean others. This would be a great time to practice that discipline mm. and maybe confess some of the times when you said something where you felt stupid, and you know that you hurt somebody or or that you said the wrong thing or you said congratulations to a woman that was not pregnant or whatever it was that you did where everyone will feel like you know oh i'm glad i'm not you uh that would be a great entry point in this conversation and help everybody also identify with the problem and the temptations that lie here but then i think you could go into the small influences the large to help expand it the great problem of course in this is that it's sort of directed at teachers, I think you could expand on that and say, maybe it's not just about teachers. Maybe it's just like all of us need to be thinking about taming the tongue. And then of course, those of us who are teachers will have more. It's all not more saying so. none of us will be judged. It's just saying the teachers will be judged more strictly. So that's one entry point to say that this is not just teacher teaching to himself or herself. It's teaching for everyone. And oh, make extra special care to think about how this impacts those who are held to a higher standard. Yeah, I think you could do it that way or another way in, and it's not a strict either or, it's just an alternative possibility would be to say, in some ways we all are teachers, you know, by our sheer discipleship and the fact that as disciples of Christ, we're all called to make disciples and we're making disciples even when we're not realizing it just by our behavior towards those around us and our influence. So we may have a flock of only two, three people, right? Uh, or maybe our children or a few friends or a spouse or a coworker. That'd be another way to twist it is to kind of say, well, you know, when he's saying not, not many of you should become teachers, there's using this in the, in a narrower sense, but in a larger sense, all of us are in a, in some ways uh, bearing some kind of uh, teaching authority in some manner. And so, I don't know, that might be a little too weird, but it's another possibility to consider. Yeah. I don't we know if certainly this... Instruct one another, as is said in, in, in scripture. So teach one another, you know, encourage one another. Yeah. You know, in, in, literally in Rome, Romans, you know, you're competent to instruct one another. Well, that's competence we usually think of as the, people on stage and it's like no all of us have by the spirit competence to instruct one another so yeah, yeah I, I think you could do that yeah this feels to me like a passage where and i don't like doing this too often because you know me I, I i love to hug the text and i enjoy expository preaching although i don't i don't feel that that's the only proper way this might be a text where i could see quite a bit of just drawing on our own lived wisdom to spell it out, you know, uh, again, there are some texts where I would be, you know, where you just preach one line and then you say, here's 10 things that like aren't connected at all, you know, but this might be one where I'm tempted to say, it could be really good to just say, here's 10 ways to bridle your tongue, you know, and just right, list yeah. them out for yourself and in your observations of others. Um, totally. 
and play and off some contrast. Like talking too much would be one. You could talk about exactly. that because what what I do. I mean, I have a friend at work. This is a story I would tell if I was preaching on this text. I have a friend at my former job where one of us often like once a month or so, one of us has to like text the other person or call the other person like in the evening or late in the afternoon when we've already headed home, you know, with like exact mirror opposite apologies, right? Mine is, I definitely shouldn't have said that thing I said in that meeting, right? Cause I just say too much in the moment I get heated, but his will be, you know what? You said that thing in the meeting and I really should have said, blank, you know, and I didn't, I, I held my tongue. Like I would think of him as from my point of view, he's someone with a bridled tongue, but he doesn't see it that way. He thinks he, he fails to speak when he should speak. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. When something needs to be said, maybe in front of everyone as a leader, as a leader, there's things he lets go that he, that need to be called out that need to be spoken. Um, right. And I tend to think bridal only as speaking less, but sometimes it's an omission. It's a something needs to be said and you're neglecting it to avoid conflicts. Right. And, you know, that's just the practical wisdom thing. But I feel like that kind of wisdom preaching, I, that's what I call it is a, is wisdom preaching is w- wisdom. Preaching is not preaching. That's like where every, where all the content is derived from the text, but rather it's correlates with the text drawn mm-hmm. from experience. I mean, you think of like, I mean, two thirds of the book of Proverbs could be found in the wisdom teaching of lots of other pagan nations at the time. It's not directly derived from the Torah, which was their scripture at the time when Proverbs is being written. Right. And, and James is similar. Like this stuff is not, whereas, whereas someone like Paul, right? Paul's trying to squeeze everything out of the single singular idea of the Messiah, right? It's all about that. Whereas James is, is doing wisdom writing. It's like this stuff is not. It's not all being squeezed out of the Torah or squeezed out of Jesus. It's just life stuff, you know? And I feel like James invites us to that kind of preaching sometimes. I think if that's all we ever do, I think we can become untethered from the scripture. But if all we ever do is expository preaching, we maybe sometimes miss the invitation a text like this has to explore. How's this going to play out in our lives? Right. Um, I don't know how that that what you're saying would be would be fine. And I think it would be a way to, you know, to come up with a list of what are, what are my three or four stories in my life about how, what I said or what other people said had a big impact negatively or positively, and then draw out principles of that. That's going to end up being a little bit more like a seminar on taming the tongue kind of thing, which is how I've often heard this preached. It would be a fun challenge for somebody. And one way to do it in a passage like this, since there's so many metaphors, is to put every metaphor down on a whiteboard or in a chart or 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 on post-it notes so you can move them around, however somebody's style of prep is. And then like force yourself to think through what are all the ways I could spin that metaphor around and apply it. So for instance, the horse ah. metaphor is a thing in the front of the horse that yeah. is a bridle that that uh holds the horse back visually from mm-hmm. running out of control. And and in a way you might say, uh, well, uh, that might be the over-talking thing. Mm. And you could use, com- uh, give examples of that. But then the rudder is in the back of the boat, right? Mm-hmm. And in the back of the boat, it might be more about motive. I know for me, sometimes when I've had something I said that I shouldn't have said, I had to think through in my processing, not just, oh, I shouldn't have said that, but more like, why did I say that? Ooh, 
what was my motive like a rudder you could play around with that a bit and say where was it headed where yeah. was it heading and why did i want the ship to go that way and then the flip side of that which is like with the horse you have the bridle on the front that holds it back but it also channels the power because the horse power literally of the tongue and you can really make power a difference with it but then your motives if you say the right thing for the right motive in the right time to be honest, even if it's confrontation, like my story earlier, the right. teacher that came and confronted me, well, he was using his tongue to confront me about my tongue. So that was an example where his motive was pure, even though he was saying something hard to me. And then you could just keep going with that, like the spark. And a positive and negative for each too. Yes. It's and, nice. And try to, try to make like a chart of the whole thing all the way down into you know, the blessing and the fireworks, the fireworks really good with gossip, right? That one yes. just really goes with the good gossip one. thing, which good. you hinted at earlier with which my talking about other people to gossip is I say this phrase and you've heard me say it, John, which is, you know, I trust your judgment with this information. And then I go on and say something. And that's a little verbal tick I have developed intentionally, because if I don't trust your judgment with this information, why am I telling it to you? Uh, mm. why am I compelled to say you need to keep this secret? Now there are exceptions and times where I do sure. say, especially if it's about me, like, <laughs> Hey, I just, so you know, this isn't public or, you know, I'm not sharing this with many people and I give more information, but that, that just a reminder when it comes to gossip, if I'm sharing something that's uh, information about another person, I need to say, Hey, I trust your judgment with who should know this, but here's, here's what I know. Uh, otherwise it's like, why am I telling somebody else's secret or why am I even telling them my secret? Uh, if just I don't to feel them, like I'm in the know, cause it feels good exactly. to be someone who knows stuff. Yeah. Right. That, so the little bit of that, little bit of that problem. No, that's good. I, I like, I, I, of course you're preaching in the choir here is you just made a case for like why even very practical preaching can be, and perhaps should be expositional, right? Like, or at yeah. least, at least as a as a thought experiment for our listeners in their prep process right. is like, is just ironic, like it's since you're more the expository one and I'm more yeah, no, the worked out great. list builder. So I've, I've now drawn you back in to your, yeah, well, I, I think it's a good one for me uh, being somebody who's not as inclined as you are to be expository. I always want to kind of force myself to say, but, but could I really stick right. to this text? And this is a difficult one, but I think you probably could. Well, it's like back to your, your mention of a text coming back to Christ in an explicit way. Like, I, I agree with you. We don't have to do that. I say with the Old Testament, I'll actually say, I've said to myself, and I, I think I've said it to friends or students. I don't know if I ever said it in this class, but I mean, in class, sorry, this isn't class. Uh, not many of you should be teachers uh, in this show <laughs> that we should be able to preach uh, a solid Christian sermon on an Old Testament text that makes no explicit reference to the new Testament. You should be able to do it. You should be able to do it. doesn't mean you have to do it, but like right. if you yeah. don't force yourself to do it a little bit, you're probably yeah. not taking the time to hear the text speak for itself. Vice versa. You should always be able to see new Testament connections and Christological fulfillment in every single passage in the old Testament. Right. Yeah, you should right. also be able to do that. So you almost want to write like, um, there's almost like two possible sermons for every text yeah. and which way you're going to lean just depends on the text and the needs of your congregation in any given time and an right. overall assessment of the balance of your teaching uh, life in general. And I think that applies here and it applies with the, 
the bit about exposition, I feel like you're kind of saying, well, you should at least give it a try. Force yourself a little bit. But, you know, if, if you get down to the wire and the sermon's just not coming together, then feel free to, yeah. you know, do a cool seminar lists, you know. <laughs> totally. I, and I do, you know, I was tempted when I did get that criticism to bring up Marcionism and other things like just, you know, to defend myself. That it's like, hey, you know, this Old <laughs> Testament here applies in a way I don't have to shoehorn it into some fact. And, and, you know, you know, when you're shoehorning something in. I did end up preaching that passage at two different churches. And then the other time I did it, I did talk about Jesus and there was a natural way to do it. And so it is one of those things. It's a, it's a helpful thing to kind of, and, and to know your own tendencies. My tendencies are to build a list of 10 ways to tame the tongue, right? It's more like an article. Like I do more leadership kind of writing and, and a little bit more wisdom, wisdom tradition writing. I think leadership, modern leadership, Christian leadership writing would be in many ways, modern wisdom. Noble. Thank you. Well, I think that's what it is. Yeah. I'm not saying it's all quality wisdom. It's not all good wisdom. It might be wisdom from the earth of the flesh and unspiritual and demonic, but it's still wisdom. (laughs) And and part of it's just knowing your tendency and then to say, okay, what can I do? Um, You know, I, I do even, I know in a teaching team I was in when I was in my, I guess it would have been late twenties. They helped me realize that sometimes I would just end a message and, and sort of the men, I wouldn't say this, but I, the mentality at the end was okay. Now go think about that. I hope that helps. Like it was, <laughs> I didn't land the plane with any sense of what the next steps were, or my tendency was like, those are some thoughts for you to consider. Bye. And I, I had to learn that that was my tendency. And in a way it still is. Uh, and understand I need to help give people a sense of here's what you can do. That wouldn't be the temptation of this one. Probably it would be the one you, you mentioned. And I do think the positive part to understand there are That's positive important. stuff in here. It's not just boo the tongue. It's, you know, almost all the metaphors. And of course, at the end there, there's the fresh water, bitter water, you know, the producing olives, you know, producing figs, uh, fresh water, you know, it, and then of course the two big metaphors of the ship and the horse. There are positive reasons for all that stuff. So Yeah, that's that's the biggest takeaway from this conversation for me today is I just again because of my own sort of guilt and insecurity around excess speech, I all I can hear is the negative side of these metaphors. And I feel like you've helped me see them and hear them in a way that maybe I've never noticed. And I'm really excited. The link to Jesus' parables was helpful in that regard because those are familiar and explicitly rendered as a positive. As right? positive. Yeah. Yeah. And that helped, that helped like break me out of my, cause it's more like, I mean, I, I, I obviously I grasped it conceptually like, well, you know, the tongue can be used for good or for evil, but the whole vibe of the passage to me feels like, but pretty much it's always, almost always evil. Right. So you should just shut up more. Right. Like that's how I have pr- processed it. And yeah. so hearing you kind of really see the power and potential of the tongue as this potential gift from God or no, it is a gift of God in actuality and therefore has potential for yeah. great positive impact. And that's where the motive is so important. Cause I think even mm. like thinking through, why do I say, so I've had to think, you know, I've had some things in parenting that isn't, you know, a teaching setting other than a parental teaching component where I've said some things to my kids that I had to really think through what is going on in me that makes me say that to them. And then, as you know, I've, this this has increased as my kids have aged, not decreased. How many times I have to apologize to my kids for something that I said? And they're all three different. And some of it is, 
they heard it a certain way and I should have known that even though I didn't intend it. And then other times their unique personality interconnected with mine sometimes brings out a side to me that, that I don't like. And that hasn't so been tamed yet too. I familiar to them and their sense, but I think that they each have their own way of operating that sometimes I react to and say things. Yeah. Like. So I have to think through, okay, it's kind of the rudder thing. What was my motive and why did I, why did I respond in that way? And does that have nothing to do with them, but it has to do with me when I was 14, right? Yeah. Not them at their age. Yeah. Oh, that sounds spot on. So here's a, here's a homiletical question and we're getting near the end. Maybe this will be the last, but in terms of emphasizing both the positive and the negative power of the tongue, whether that's a, a point that someone's making, I think it's a, it's a principle that needs to be operative in, in, a, in a teaching on this text. Would you recommend or what are the pros and cons of each is fine. Kind of camping out on the negative for half the sermon and then kind of emphasizing the positive for half the second half, you know, or kind of always going back and forth. Like, I mean, yeah, I could see benefits to both. So that's why I'm curious which one would be, which one would you be inclined to and why? Hmm. Well, I, I would be inclined now that we kind of did the whole charting. Right. Uh, of like the, the, the horse, the, the ship, the, the fire, the tongue on fire, the tamed animals, you know, the poison, the cursing and, you know, blessing those different, all those different metaphors right to the end. I would tend to want to go right line by line through it more. It's ironic because of the temptation you said earlier to leave the expository approach. I would want to just go right to anchor it it in order to anchor it in the images, because it would be hard to come back to the image. You don't want to come back to the rudder later. Yes, we do. In our missionary training, we do a a thing from leadership matter stuff that I've only experienced. I've not actually, I'm not a trainer in any of that stuff, but, and they always build a little kind of mnemonic devices and, and it's visual. They're like, with this passage, you could actually do it. You could say, now imagine, you know, yourself with a bridle in your mouth and you do that. Okay. And then, okay. okay, and on top of your head, then there's a rudder in the back of your head. And it's really corny. Uh, and they repeat it over and over again to help people remember it. But you, I just think that this one could build on itself in a way that would be interesting visual to play with. So I think I would probably tend to build it up rather than do it. Although I think it could be if, if somebody did the other way you suggested, it'd be super fun because you could just do a full on sort of condemnation <laughs> message about the tongue and how yep. horrible this is, which, and then flip it and say, yes, but, and then go right back and rattle right through those in a way that would be really kind of cool and, and have a symmetry to it. And it would be surprising. It would be more of a surprising message because they'd be like, oh, that was totally different at the end there. And it would end on such a high note because you would have been building it for 10 minutes straight. Yeah, that would be yeah. fun too. Both is both are good. That's a great example though, Dave. I'm glad we talked it through because I am attracted to that second option as a kind of experiential right. sort of. It would uh, be cooler. It would definitely be more like. It's kind of law gospel more, too, right? More, yeah. <laughs> more Lutheran. More, more, uh, It'd be more artistic. I think there is a, there's a flair to that that would be more of a preaching art that would be kind of fun to try. And I think what's fun about this last little bit of our conversation is just to make it explicit for our listeners is 
we just kind of mapped out two very different sermons in form and in style and in feel that are both thoroughly expositional and like exactly. following the text, right? Like, so a lot of times we can imagine that there's like a biblical sermon and then a bunch of like variations of greater and lesser evil, right? right. <laughs> you know, as if you have to compromise to make the scriptures relevant, you know, it's like, no, it's, it's not a compromise question. It's a creativity question. How, how do you want to communicate what God seems to be teaching you in this text? Then you sense he wants to teach the people today. And there's going to be a lot of ways to do it, you know, so. More than one way to skin a cat or exegete a passage. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks so much, uh, for giving your time uh, to the show and to this uh, conversation and to the word of God. Thanks as always to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. Thanks to all you listeners out there who tune into the show and pass it along to others. Thanks especially to our patron saints who support the show. Uh, we appreciate you greatly. If you want to become a patron saint, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text, find ways to support the show and get some extra content. And with that, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.